I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinks. Doctors and nurses around the world are putting their lives at risk to treat coronavirus patients. And some are paying the ultimate price. Just started feeling a burning in my chest. And in retrospect, I think that was my lungs getting more and more affected by the virus. And then my oxygen levels started to drop. And when that happened, I decided uh, I needed to go into the hospital. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. Many doctors and nurses are working 12 and even 24-hour shifts amid the coronavirus outbreak. Tens of thousands have been directly exposed and infected with COVID-19. The appreciation, though, for these citizens of the world is widespread. There are countless examples of people taking to their balconies or rooftops and cheering on these medical teams. In recent days, Google changed its logo to have the letter E dressed in medical scrubs and had hearts thrown its way. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global outbreak and hear from Dr. Charles Schlein about what it's like when the doctor becomes the patient. Starting first, though, in Europe. The country of Italy has lost 109 doctors and dozens of nurses to COVID-19. Thousands of Italian healthcare workers have tested positive for the virus. A piece of positive news, though, Italy has seen a rapid decline in the number of new cases and deaths from coronavirus. Italian authorities say they will gradually reopen the economy, starting first with small shops and bookstores. Now to India, where more than 10,000 total cases have been reported. Indian doctors are facing a second type of threat amid the outbreak. In central India, a team of medical professionals came under attack this week by a mob as they tried to find a patient who tested positive. A nationwide lockdown was implemented by Prime Minister Narendra Modi, though many are defying the orders. Medical teams have also reportedly been attacked in places like Australia and the Philippines. Moving to Indonesia, where at least 22 doctors and 10 nurses have died from coronavirus. The country is seeing hundreds of positive results each day, as reports indicate new COVID-19 tests are being sourced from Switzerland. Indonesia maintains the highest death rate for any Asian location outside of China. Finally, in the United States, thousands of medical professionals have been infected with the coronavirus as the demand for personal protective equipment remains high. The first ER doctor to die from this disease practiced medicine in both New York and New Jersey. He had texted friends that he used the same face mask four days in a row. So what is it like to be a doctor and actually contract coronavirus? Well, you know, you know sort of a little bit too much as a doctor. This is Dr. Charles Schlein. He is the chair of pediatrics at the Zucker School of Medicine. Dr. Schlein was diagnosed with coronavirus last month. And um, when it first started, I wasn't terribly sick, but it's uh, daunting. You know, it's a little scary knowing what could come. Take me through that moment where you suspected you might be positive for coronavirus. Well, I was at work on a Monday morning, uh, had shaking chills, and uh, my assistant said, I think you need to go home. And when I got home, I realized this is probably it, uh, given, you know, all the news. And I got tested the following day and uh, tested positive, got the result back later that day. And, uh, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking at first, but I actually felt better after two days. I had a little bit of a honeymoon period. thought, okay, I'm going to have a mild case. And then following that, uh, things started going downhill. I read your op-ed in the New York Times, and 
it sounded like a, a harrowing experience. And you talk about thinking of your kids and what this would mean for them if you died as a result of this virus. And we've seen medical professionals around the world losing their lives because they've been exposed and ultimately succumb to the disease so you're diagnosed and then what happens after this do you go straight into isolation no i was diagnosed i stayed home i mean i was living alone and uh became more and more symptomatic in terms of not a lot of fever but a little bit of coughing but it was really more that general malaise of not being able to do anything, not being able to eat much or drink much or do much for yourself. And then along with that, I just started feeling a burning in my chest. And in retrospect, I think that was my lungs getting more and more affected uh, by the virus. That went on for about 10 or 11 days. And then my oxygen level started to drop. I was monitoring myself at home. And when that happened, I decided uh, I needed to go into the hospital. And so you call your colleagues, I assume, and tell them you need to get into the hospital right away. What sort of tests exactly. did they run once you got there? Well, we ran a bunch of blood tests just to see what my inflammatory markers were like. We already knew I was positive for the virus. And it was really more a matter of monitoring me to see uh, how bad the oxygenation was going to become. So it was really during that time laying there in the stretcher, knowing that I was getting worse and worse by the hour, that uh, the fear set in that, wow, this could uh, lead to, you know, an ICU and ventilation and, uh, and then, you know, sort of a flip of the coin. So there were a few sort of scary hours in there. Uh, and, you know, I knew what the progression could be because uh, I know a lot about the disease and had been thinking about it now for quite a long time. There's limited options for treatment when it comes to a virus like this. It's not a situation, as we know now following this, that can be treated with antibiotics, for example. It's something that you're basically monitoring the symptoms. So you knew all this going in and, and being a medical professional yourself. Did you start to think through maybe what some of the options might be for you in terms of how to monitor the symptoms and then treat them? No, absolutely. I, I actually been on an early course of hydroxychloroquine. Um, and ironically, I took my last dose the morning of the day I ended up in the hospital. So people ask me, uh, did that help? Did it not? I think it's totally impossible to say. I think you could take either side of that coin and obviously... We need to wait for the studies to come. But um, during the time that my oxygenation was getting worse, uh, a couple of infectious disease docs came in, and we actually started to talk about experimental trials if I ended up on a ventilator at that time, which was the criteria uh, for some of the newer drugs on, you know, through a trial. And uh, they, in fact, put me on the list uh, to enter studies and fortunately uh, things stabilized that day and I never had to get there. So I never got any other specific treatment. You've been listening to Dr. Charles Schlein. We'll be right back. We often talk about bedside manner for doctors and I imagine the conversation between doctor and patient and doctor and doctor goes a little bit differently. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, point. Um, 
absolutely goes differently. I mean, they come in, they view me as a colleague, and typically I'm the senior guy. Uh, you know, I've been in medicine for uh, three to four decades, you know. And uh, it's actually more of a, almost more of a collegial discussion because I know I know the language. Um, you don't have to use, you know, lay language or simple. And came in and said, look, you know where this is potentially going. Uh, we want to wait a couple more hours, and uh, these are the studies we should be thinking about. And we were already sort of deep into conversation about, uh, you know, contraindications to those studies, uh, what they might mean, what, when I, you know, what are my chances of getting on this, you know, what percentage of the patients going in get placebo. It is different. It is a different conversation. It's really almost like I'm on rounds with them. And frankly, when I got hospitalized, it's really the nurses and the aides that can treat me more as the patient. And clearly, I was so sick at that point, I needed that. I needed some TLC. And I try to, you know, let's take it down. I'm not the doctor, I'm the patient. So it is always an interesting conundrum when the doctor is the patient. Did that change in perspective switch at all the way that you'll practice medicine in the future, just in terms of the way that you'll explain disease to patients or the way that you'll talk to people who have been diagnosed with a disease? Well, you know, I think over the years I have tried to be more and more and more empathetic to patients. You know, I'm a pediatrician. I did pediatric intensive care for a living. And I don't think there's any question uh, through, you know, illness of close family members and including my wife that I think I've been through some of those lessons. This obviously continues to strengthen that humanistic side of recognizing the pressure and the pain that families are going through when whether it's a child or a close family member is very ill. And uh, it's obviously something that I try to not only practice, but I do a lot of teaching and teach, you know, my junior colleagues. So it is an I, important point. I imagine understanding the language around this virus and then actually getting it. I'm sure you're doing a lot of reading in terms of treatment options and what the future is going to look like for the population out there who hasn't contracted coronavirus, but is worried that they could. We've heard a lot of conversations about those getting the virus and then the possibility of being immune to getting it again. The WHO is saying if you've had coronavirus, COVID-19, it may not confer to immunity. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I don't have any specific thoughts. I'm hoping and praying I'm immune, you know, for a lifetime would be nice, as many viruses, you know, do confer, do confer uh, immunity. Um, However, uh, it's pretty clear that we don't know yet uh, whether, one, we have instant immunity or whether we have, uh, you know, immunity over what period of time, I think, is really unclear at this point. So I'm hopeful I do, uh, but I don't think the answer's out yet. And finally, having experienced COVID-19 and what it can do to your body, being in the hospital amid this outbreak, what would you say to doctors across the country? Where does their focus need to be right now? And to the American people, what should they be looking at in the near future? Well, I think to other physicians, and we know lots have been written about 
nurses and doctors, you know, the front line. But I think once a patient is hospitalized, um, you know, it's one thing if they're on a ventilator and sedated, but for all the patients that are hospitalized who are not on a ventilator and sedated, it's a scary proposition. You know, you're isolated, no visitors, even your nurses and aides and doctors are, you know, covered up. You don't really know who anybody is. And I, and I think those individuals who came into my room and were really kind and really took care of me, I feel indebted, you know, for life to those individuals under really extreme, really difficult situations. You know, I think for the public and people who get it and are feeling really sick and feeling like I, I think I want to throw in the towel. All I could say is it's a weird virus. You're probably sicker than you've ever been. And just, you know, hold on. And this too will pass. Um, and I will tell you, after my New York Times article was published, a lot of the notes I got, whether it was on Twitter or by email, were from strangers who were saying, thank you so much for publishing this and giving us hope that, you know, we're going to get through this or my husband's going to get through this. We were just so depressed and, you know, despondent. And I think, you know, to get that message out, I think is really important. Certainly. Well, doctor, we're glad you're feeling better. Dr. Charles Schlein, the chair of pediatrics at the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Dr. Schlein, thank you again for your time. You're quite welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Baer podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Baer favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.